0: Welcome to The Wonderful World of Wine, exploring all things wine with you. We're your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, and you can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. everyone, and welcome again to the wonderful world of wine. We're your hosts, Mark and Kim, and every week we bring you trending topics from the wine world. And how are you this week, Mark?
1: Everything's good, Kim. How are you?
0: Good. I'm fine. Thank you.
1: It's always good to talk wine today, right? Talk something good.
0: Sure. So Mm -hmm. first thing that we wanted to talk about is ways that the wine industry in America can be improved. And this is the kind of thing that they're are, I think, as many opinions as there are people about people talking about the topic. And a lot of folks have issues with our current system of either alcohol distribution or how it is sold in different states. And it is a very complicated situation because it really springs from laws that were put into place at the end of prohibition. So we have this almost 100 year old system that maybe isn't keeping up with uh, modern day and modern technology, but there are other things too that could be maybe improved for wine drinkers and uh, for other things like the environment. So this was,
1: I thought, a very interesting article, Kim. It covered a lot of things. It was the U.S. wine is a mess, and here's how to fix it. And it was a wine enthusiast magazine article. And it was like, uh, assuming... He was the emperor of the U.S. and here's what what should happen to address some of the issues. I thought it would be fun if we go through them and agree or disagree on if there are really issues here or not. Sure. The first one they mentioned was all wine will have ingredient labels. That would be one of the things they would change. And we've talked about this a lot. What's your feeling on ingredient labels? Would you think it would overall improve the industry?
0: Well, I mean, we've we've talked about this before and should wine have ingredient labels? Should it have calorie counts? Should it have nutritional information? I think we eventually will have that kind of thing on winery labels. And I definitely think it's going to be a bit of a transition both for producers and for consumers and for folks like yourself who are selling the wines because it's going to be a lot of unusual information that consumers will need to be educated about. So if you just slap a whole bunch of technical winemaking ingredient terms on the back of a label right now, I think it's going to scare a lot of people. But honestly, maybe that's not a bad thing. I fully believe that being transparent and giving the consumer information is a good thing. It's just going to be, I think, a little tricky once people read what actually goes into their wines and whether those ingredients are natural or not dangerous or even have health benefits. I think that there's going to have to be a lot of education from our side so that consumers can figure out what that label actually means. So I think it needs to go beyond just listing them and telling people this is what this is all about.
1: Yeah, I like the point of view and two things. First, I think right now we do a lot of education and talk about look at these labels and try to learn a few things. And people really don't take the time now to do that. So like you were saying, I think adding more to it with all these ingredients now it's really probably going to confuse or, or it could scare people more away from wine. Imagine if we started putting the acidity levels and stuff like that. And you see, and we talked in the past, you see acid on, a on something you drink and you're like, what well, acid, you know, it kind of scares you away.
0: Yeah. Or it could do the opposite. I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that far as in the packaged food realm that, has an ingredient list that's like 30 ingredients long, and that doesn't stop people from buying it. So maybe this is something that our industry is worrying about that we have no need to worry about. I think that could also happen, that people aren't even going to care, that they're not going to turn it over. I think some people will, but I don't know. It's going to (laughs) be very interesting to see.
1: And you mentioned transparency, and I think that would be very interesting because we always talk about the big corporate wines and how they never really want to say you know, their secret recipes or whatever for wine. It would really be interesting what they do and mm-hmm. how they would handle it and if they really want to tell or will they change because they're going to have to tell people what's in it. So, yeah. so that was a very interesting thing they started with. Uh, second of all, they said all wines should be TCA-free or cork-taint-free closures, which... To me, the rate of getting a corked wine is what three to five percent, maybe lower. And I think every year it goes down. So I don't think that's a big issue with the the wines mm-hmm. in the U.S. Now. Do you, Do you still think this is a a mess and that needs to be corrected?
0: No, I don't. I think that we as an industry have done a lot. I mean, not me. I'm not a winemaker, but but <laughs> yeah. we, well, we've certainly been on the side of trying to educate consumers in that. It doesn't mean that the wine is not a good quality wine just because it has a screw cap. You know, just because a wine isn't bottled with a real cork, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with that. And I think that over the last 20, 25 years, our industry has actually done a really good job of addressing this issue, whether it's from the side of producers who are going extra lengths to make sure that they are sourcing good cork to cork producers who are investing in a lot of research in a lot of new technology in paying better attention to the actual trees so that they can end up getting better quality cork. I think on many, many levels, this has been addressed. And yes, there's going to still be a little bit of this going around. Just anecdotally, I don't remember the last time I got a corked bottle, honestly. And I drink a lot of wine. I taste a lot of wine and I have not gotten a corked bottle in quite a while.
1: And the testing methods for the corks is every year it gets better and better mm-hmm. and better. So they reduce the amount of cork they're putting in the bottle that's going to have the bacteria that cause the cork taint. It just keeps improving every year. So I didn't really, I'm glad we didn't, we saw this the same way. and <laughs> uh, Next game was the, the way they worded this. I like this. They said the murder weapon weight <laughs> bottles should be outlawed. I knew so you that, would
0: like this one. As you know, soon as I saw this one, I'm like, yep, Mark's going to go behind that one
1: they're talking the real thick, heavy glass bottles that they put a little extra in and hurt the environment by making these thicker glass bottles. They should outlaw them. And I've seen a comeback. I think we talked about this before too. I'm seeing a comeback of that real heavyweight bottle. And I always say to people when they're looking at the bottles for gifts, always go with that heavy bottle because it it makes such a perfect gift because when they pick it up, they're like, wow, you know, I never felt glass this thick, it must be expensive, right? Mm -hmm. So what's your take on? Should we get rid of these heavyweight bottles? Should we get
0: rid of them? Um, I think producers should do the right thing and move away from them for all of the reasons that you've stated. Extra weight puts extra pressure on the environment. It takes more fuel to transport those heavier things. Glass is heavy. The majority of weight of a case of wine is not the wine itself. It's the glass bottles. But I don't necessarily feel like we can legislate, quote unquote, winemakers to not use expensive bottles. Sorry, heavier bottles, because this is solely a marketing issue. And like you mentioned, Folks will put their wines in this heavier bottle, only to make people think that it is a more impressive and possibly, you know, more value wine than maybe it truly is. There are some wines in heavy bottles that are like super pricey and very good quality and hard to get, and all those things. But I think the, you know, the idea of putting your wine in a heavy bottle just so that people will do what you said and pick it up and be like, oh wow, this bottle's really heavy and this must be, you know, some fancy fancy wine. I think people should do the right thing and move away from that. But it's probably beneficial to them and their bottom line to keep bottling in heavier bottles. I would prefer to get rid of them
1: personally. And it will cost you more because like you said, the weight, it leads to more expensive shipping costs. And it's
0: more glass. So I mean, it does cost more because it physically is more massive glass there.
1: It does cost more. Next Kim, alcohol levels should be more accurate. Mm. And that in this the United States, hand. right, there is a one to one and a half percent error on the wine label that right. you can have by law. They said it should be better than that, should be yeah. more accurate than that.
0: I wonder if this one goes hand in hand with the ingredient and the nutritional label, especially for some smaller producers where you might have five different batches of the same wine and the same vintage and they might be slightly different, giving them that wiggle room to just put like 13% on their label where it could be 14, it could be 12, it could be 13 and a half. I think that's beneficial to the little guys, but where you see that this obviously is kind of being taken advantage of is I feel that there are so many wines out there that say 13 and a half percent because like that is the sweet spot where you can get away with a lot of different levels and just put 13 and a half on your bottle. So I think that this is something that is uh, sometimes taken advantage of and could be done better.
1: Yeah, it does go with the increase because if we're going to say this is what's in there, then they should say more accurately what mm-hmm. your alcohol content mm-hmm. is. Right. And say with sulfite Sulfites. it says if it's over this, you say contain sulfites. But maybe we should know if it's on the low end or the high end of that of that range more. Mm-hmm.
0: And I honestly I would rather see the sulfite level on the bottle of wine than have it be within, you know, a 10th of a percent of the correct alcohol content in there. Like for me, I'm less concerned with whether my bottle of wine is 13% or 13 and a half percent. But if it has 25 grams or micrograms, I I forget what the actual amount of self of sulfites that's allowed in there. But if it's 25 versus 125, I feel like I'd rather know that.
1: Yeah, makes sense. And I was recently I saw a chart that listed all the alcohol tolerances in the world and U.S., New Zealand and Australia were all could be up to that one point five.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every place else was with like 0. 0.5 to one. OK. And more accurate than three.
0: But only slightly more accurate.
1: Yeah. But so not like it has to be 100 percent. Yeah, Yeah, but you know, a lot lower than that one and a half percent, it could be off, which you know it makes a big difference. The next one they were saying came, which is kind of a mess and should be corrected, was the proposed agricultural areas that are designated should be approved based on the wines being very distinctive, not that it's just a unique spot. Right. Is the way I was reading that. So just this week there were two Washington avas that were approved and one of them was called the burn and prior to this announcement of being approved chateau saint Michel came out with a wine called the burn and it was based on they're the only wine in this area that makes a wine a winery and they got approved based on its being this one spot so they say they don't even look at anything to do with wine or, or, or in like an EU, it's a history or something like that. Mm-hmm. They you basically can put it in. If you push enough, you're getting approved for these designated areas. So what was you take on that, Kim?
0: So did they get an, is this an AVA that has one producer?
1: Correct. <sighs> Correct. And I think that's the whole point of this. That's saying it's a mess yeah. and it should be corrected.
0: Yeah. And
1: you, you've seen more and more of that, where every once in a while there are certain things in the EU where there's certain things that is such a cult following or something that they get finally get an approved DOC or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's very rare in the United States. It seems it's just getting more and more approved for things that aren't really approved because this burn, this was a new line. It just came out last year. So how do they know this mm-hmm. ABA is unique?
0: Yeah. And I think that that's what it comes down to is that how do you you know and is that the whole purpose behind an AVA? Should it be the uniqueness of the site? And I think that this is one thing that as we look to European countries who have been making wine for many, many, many hundreds, if not thousands of years, And have recently in the last 200 years, say, been designating those areas as, okay, this particular place is special. Therefore, you can only call this wine, this wine, if it's from this particular place. And American wines still are so new that it's almost like we're going through this weird, like growing pains where... Partly, we want to be like those European wines and have this system where we have all these tiny little ones and they all have something unique and special about them. And they're going to be levels of quality that are all sort of nested one within the other. And then on the other hand, we have this sort of like to hell with it kind of American mentality of I want to grow this and I want to grow it here and you can't tell me that I can't. So it's this weird, like, trying to have it both ways, I feel like. And it's only, I mean, it's confusing when you're dealing with European wines, even though there's lots and lots of history behind why there are regions and sub-regions, and then, you know, specific villages within them. And, you know, as we learn those things, it's like, it's very confusing, and it's, overwhelming, but at least there is a reason behind why there are so many of these tiny little areas. But in America, we don't really have that reason. Like right now, it's kind of like you said, where it's like, well, one person wants to put their stamp on this particular region and so create an AVA. But Why, you know, beyond just we want to sell more wine with our own unique label on it. There doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason for the creation of a new new AVA. There's no set of rules saying this is the unique character that your wine needs to demonstrate from this particular place.
1: That's really what they're saying. They, the wine should really stand out. Why is it different? Or are you grown Cabernet there? But why is it different than the Cabernet yes. grown next to you in the in the other? Why? And, it, and I think that, it, at,
0: you know, if there's more and more and more of this, of producers either gunning for their own unique AVAs or all of these smaller ones being created, it definitely makes it more difficult for the consumer.
1: You're just seeing, you, well... We always suggest people look for the smaller circle location. So if you see an AVA right. that should mean it's a little better, but you know, this is really going the opposite of that advice saying, well, we don't really know because it's brand new. It's brand
0: new. Yeah. So, we And then sometimes that. it's hard to tell whether it's really big or really small or really yeah. anything at all. Like the, it's a harder thing to teach people, especially with some of these newer ones.
1: And last Kim they mentioned and I hope we I'm sure we agree on this, but they say reserve be a more meaningful term. So right now it's a mess, the reserve scene. we we said it many times that you see reserve on a U.S. wine. It means absolutely nothing. It's not Mm -hmm. regulated. A lot of times the winemakers, a true winemaker, will use the term for their reserve or special wine, but it's not a regulated term. So I agree that this is something that should be corrected. It should be a meaningful term. Put some sort of number or something that's regulated to it. And I now, would think it'd be easy. Would,
0: who would regulate that? Like, what's who's the uh, or what's the, the regulating body that the can, TTB
1: who regulates the out who regulates the labels when you submit a wine? Yeah. If you say it's reserve on it, then they should say okay. Then what's it mean? Does it mean it's limited to, you know, 10,000 cases or it's, it's you don't make this every year or, or what does that mean? They, they mm-hmm. can easily put a term to it and, and regulate it, but mm-hmm. for some reason, no one wants to touch it because it yeah. because, again, goes back to marketing and misleading people to purchase a wine.
0: Yeah. So do you think that it would be beneficial for like, what kind of rules would you like to see behind the word reserve? would you like it to be production-based, like you can't make more than a certain number of cases of this particular wine? Or would you think it would be more beneficial if, going back to our previous question, if this wine came from a more specialized, specific site, or is it winemaking-related? So I guess that's kind of my question to you. Would yeah, you rather I... see it as the grape growing or would you rather see it as the wine making?
1: Yeah, I'm thinking more production you know, limiting the volume. uh, It would be be tough to say aging, you know, which is the Mm -hmm. type of thing, but it could be a combination of both. It's aging, it must be, reds must be aged this long, whites this long, plus the production must be under so much, because that would help the real small producers a lot lot more, and then limit these big, corporations from saying reserve on things that they're making 2 million cases on right what do you think
0: yeah i think i would lean more towards have it be designating specific winemaking practices so i mean i don't necessarily feel like which would
1: be aging right which I mean, would be aging but yeah. i don't
0: necessarily know if american wines a lot of ours aren't really meant for aging
1: right. so percentage you know, of grape type of thing
0: I think that there yeah. are Which is different regulated. variables, but I, I do feel like the limited production is what people imagine when they see or hear the word reserve that, oh, this is yeah, more of a special production and what that specialness implies might be different from person to person, but I think going along with it is is kind of a limited availability. Definitely not two million cases. <laughs> like that's yeah. a
1: lot of wine. <laughs> and I find when you talk to a winemaker and they say barrel select or reserve, say they're making Cabernet, all the Cabernets aged in oak, they'll go through and they'll say, "Oh, wait, this barrel tastes different than this one. This one is way better." So that's my reserve barrel, right? So mm-hmm. they're actually saying. The winemaker saying, this is my better thing, but it's all was the same grapes and the same way it was made. It's just aged in a different barrel. So it'd be tough to have the winemaker. I think what the winemaker would say reserve and what the consumer is going to say reserve is going to be totally different. That's kind of where I was getting with that. But I think it should definitely could easily be regulated, but who's going to do that? Mm -hmm. And and you know, it's never going to happen.
0: And I don't think that there is necessarily the demand for those kind of changes right now, at least just for that last one, um, that, that word reserve. But I think that there are other things that we probably will see some of these changes be implemented in at least the next few years, probably more along the lines of the labeling.
1: You're listening to The Wonderful World of Wine, and we are your hosts, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, exploring all things wine with you. You can find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine. If you like more information about Kim, please go to her website at VinitasWineWorks.com. If you like more information about myself, please go to FranklinLiquors.com. And for past episodes, you can find us on iTunes or SoundCloud. Next, we have a story from Wine Searcher. It was actually a new story that was all over the place because there was some controversy down in South Carolina about Gallo wanting to build a huge new east coast plant for production and they also wanted to open up some retail locations so it, mm-hmm. it drew a lot of controversy down in South Carolina Kim so what was your thoughts on this did you you like the idea or Well don't I mean like th- the th- idea?
0: this is sort of playing with the idea of monopolies And what Gallo was, it seems what Gallo was trying to do was because they have such a large share of the market in South Carolina. They have a large share of the market everywhere because their wine label, and it's not just a wine that you see the name Gallo on, they own Lots and lots and lots of other wine brands that if you take a look at the label, either the front label or the back label, you would really have no idea that Gallo actually owns this brand. So 40% market
1: share. Ken, 40% in the United share.
0: States. Is that in the in the United States? The overall?
1: US, 40% of the market is
0: that's what the, the that about price. has 40% of the market share in wine in South Carolina. And that they were really sort of strong arming the distributors to go with whatever decision they wanted to make so that they could really kind of come in and move on in and continue to grow their business and their market share in the state of South Carolina. So for me, this feels like kind of not fair. It's like one of the really, really big wine stores, whose name I won't mention, but maybe I should, kind of making it public that what they want to do is kind of drive all the little guys out of business. This is another way of trying to drive all the little guys out of business, because if Gallo were to have, say, their own store or, you know, their own tasting room and their own facility, uh, then they can really dictate kind of what's going on in the wine market in that state.
1: Right. And South Carolina is a state controlled liquor state like New Hampshire, and they're talking about Gallo wants to build a plan. So they're going to produce and make wine. And then they want to open up what they're going to call tasting rooms for mm-hmm. tasting rooms in the state. And their tasting room is basically going to be a store to right. sell their wine. So, so they're calling it a tasting up, room, but
0: it's really right. a retail store. So a yeah.
1: retail store. And when this came up, they say, well, it's got to go to the state for approval. So let's have a hearing. And then only one, distributor in the state showed up to protest. Now, if you think about it, if you're a distributor in that state, you're probably selling a Gallo product. Yeah. Well, you're not going to show up and protest it because they're going to shut you off. It's bad enough. You're going to have to compete with them when they come to the state, but if you're not going to be able to sell it to everybody else in the state, I mean, if you went and protested it and you were selling the product, you, you wouldn't be selling that mm-hmm. much anymore. So the other issue they had with the people in the state is, Now you're going to have these stores competing and they're going to sell their own product. Number one, you got a problem with that. Number two issue is they're going to make wine. And the state law in South Carolina says in order to say you're making it, it had to be say it's produced and bottled in the state. Now they're not going to be growing the grapes. So I thought this was interesting, Tim, because you can truck grapes into this plant and bottle it there and say it's produced in bottle there because you're going to make, but you have to make it there. You have to mm-hmm. ferment it there. So I don't know how they're going to get around that part of the law. Yeah. It might be adapted because they're changing all sorts of, of laws to get them in there. So even that point was going to be interesting. It, it's going to be the other thing they were saying, why it should happen. Gallo was saying is because the stores have to close by law at like 530. And all the smaller stores around us saying, well, it doesn't matter. By 530, you already put us out of business if you're you're selling the wine, right?
0: Especially since, I mean, a lot of retail traffic comes on weekends, right?
1: Yeah. And even the state wasn't concerned that the smaller people were trying to say, this is a a threat to the state. It's a direct Mm -hmm. competition. They'll be bigger than the state in selling their own wine. And I guess the state didn't care because it, it officially got approved. Hmm. And it's going to be a plant that's going to be like in 600 acres. It's going to take eight years to to build, I believe. And it's in a town. I don't know. Did you see that stat, Kim? There was something about the town only had like 400 people or something. It was like, it was really small.
0: It's a tiny little place. Yeah. And they probably made the argument of, hey, we're going to be bringing all these jobs into the area. Yeah.
1: They can hire everybody in the town.
0: (laughs) They probably can.
1: And then they set limits for the retail store that you could only buy uh, two cases per person per month.
0: (laughs) That's still a heck of a lot of wine.
1: Yeah. So the small people say, okay, wait a minute. If if every resident goes to a Gallo store and buys two cases, they're never going to come to it. What do they need? No.
0: I mean, and that's a ridiculous amount of amount of wine, like two cases a month. I drink a lot of wine and I don't even drink that much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That's a lot.
1: Two of us together we probably don't. You know,
0: maybe, that. but I'm gonna say probably not. So, so but yeah. let's
1: look at it from Gallo's point of view. Right now, all their big bottling plants is on the West Coast, California, mm-hmm. and they have to ship half of it across to us on the East Coast. So oh, I think it's a
0: brilliant a plant, idea from their from their perspective. Oh, yeah. I, think I think gonna that this save is, a ton. I think this is absolutely brilliant, clever business because they are. It's like win, 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 win. And there's like no way to lose. (laughs) I mean, yeah. yeah. So all they do is like, you know, piss off a bunch of retailers and distributors. They don't, they honestly don't necessarily need those people. And in situations like this, you know, when you're talking about the relationship between the distributors and the wholesalers, sometimes the distributor is the one who is in more of a position of power than the actual producer is especially when the producer is a little guy and their only option, their only way of getting their wines into the state is to make nice with whoever their distributor is. But then you've got the flip side of this where when these big brands and these big companies have so much power and have so much influence, then they really are the ones calling the shots. And this seems to me to be one of those situations where Gallo can really throw their weight around because they can't.
1: Yeah, and I found that the town population came was 940 people.
0: Wow. Well, that's gonna, double what you thought.
1: Yeah, it's going to create <laughs> hundreds of new jobs for these 940 people. And they also changed one of the South Carolina laws to allow satellite locations just just for these people to to build their plant. there. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: I think once it's built and they're shipping, it's going to be interesting to look like a, you look at a bottle of barefoot or something if it says, you know, bottled in south carolina instead of
0: mm-hmm.
1: it'd be interesting to see what products they're going to focus east coast what you know what products west coast or maybe they'll just create certain brands only for east coast they have yeah, so many options they could do but
0: and by that you know time, it's, and it's not trend. like they're it's not like they're stopping accumulating all of these labels so i mean they just continue to grow and grow and grow yeah um, and
1: by the time this is done the trend in the wine might be something totally different that's yeah. only made there by then who knows if it's gonna be cans or what so just you know let people know there's something going on out there in the wine world with big guy and how it affects everybody
0: yep and And i just saw that 400
1: million to build it they said and i
0: just saw that uh in a related article gallo has um purchased one of my i hesitate to say favorite wine brands because i don't drink it all that much anymore but it was the new zealand wine brand that got me into new zealand sauvignon block so it's it's sort of near and dear to my heart so uh nobilo so they just purchased oh, nobilo yeah. a couple months ago
1: well that was that a constellation brand that they took over
0: yeah it was yeah. one of the ones that they took
1: so gallo and constellation the one and pretty much one and two in the in the wine yeah. world and, and they, they have been doing this happened.
0: thing where they just like trade brands back and forth Trading. don't they
1: yeah, and, and they Geller just bought a ton of the Constellation brands, so they just became bigger. I would say that forty percent is probably over fifty
0: percent now. Yeah, and I mean this isn't old news. This this is only a few weeks old, so no, it's always changing. It's always it's always something going on. Thank you for listening to us today on The Wonderful World of Wine. We've been your hosts, Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. You can always find us on Facebook at The Wonderful World of Wine, where we highlight some of the articles that we will be discussing. And you can find past episodes on SoundCloud or iTunes. Cheers. Wine, wine.